So we're back in our study of Ephesians chapter 5, and uh, we have gotten now through verse 20, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20, and uh, I'm going to go ahead and read this morning, um, and I'm going to start in Ephesians 5:15, and I'm going to read through Ephesians chapter 6, verse 9. You might note that the next kind of section of Scripture here is... Well, at least what we'll be examining will be Ephesians 5.21 through Ephesians 6.9. Ephesians 5.21 through Ephesians 6.9. And this, this really deals with all of your Christian relationships. And uh, it, it deals with uh, the marriage relationship, the family relationships, your relationships at work, and, uh, and even just your relationships with one another as Christians. And so... Um, I'm going to read from verse 15 and following. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to also love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh." This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ, not by way of eye service, as men-pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will, render service as to the Lord and not to men knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. And masters do the same things to them, and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. Amen? Okay, so there is another mouthful there. And, uh, you know, here Paul addressing the practice of our Christian life and going into great detail about what our Christian relationships are supposed to look like. And of course, if you will, he begins this whole um, kind of section of text uh, with this idea of being filled with the Spirit. And so he says, do not get drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And then he begins a discussion of what the Spirit-filled life looks like. What does it look like to be filled with the Spirit? Well, he says, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, and always giving thanks 
for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. And so he begins this discussion of what the Spirit-filled life looks like. And he says, we sing to God. We rejoice in who God is. And we make humility in our hearts to God. And he says here in verse 20, that we're always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so those who would live by the Spirit are to be thankful in every circumstance, as it says in 1 Thessalonians 5.16. That we are to be thankful for everything that we have, recognizing God as the sovereign Lord in our life, and that He gives to us as He sees fit. And we take that cup and we drink gladly, whatever it may be, that we are to give thanks for all things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is a must for a Spirit-filled life. How else can we live in relation to God if we don't live in thanksgiving? If we don't recognize God's great mercy to even give us another breath, much less our daily needs, much less meet all the needs that we have throughout our entire life. How gracious God has been to such rebellious sinners as us. Amen? If we got what we deserved, we wouldn't even be here. Amen? And so we, we live our life in, in thanksgiving to God for His mercy. We live our life in thanksgiving to God for His grace. We, we live our life in thanksgiving to God that even though we have offended His holiness, He continues to meet our needs day in and day out. Because God is kind even to the wicked. Amen? <coughs> And so, therefore, this, this is a, the, uh, the underlying attitude of the Christian life. It's one of gratefulness. It's one of thanksgiving. It's one of recognition of our great dependence on God for everything that we have and all that we are. And so, from there, he, he launches off into this subject of how we deal with one another. And he gives an underlying principle here, which really kind of carries through the rest of this whole passage all the way up into Ephesians 6, 9. And it is, he says, to be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. To be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. I want to read you some comments. I, I, I found a commentator who has some fabulous things to say about this passage of Scripture. And I, I wanted to read this to you. This is Albert Barnes. And he's talking about uh, verse 21 of Ephesians 5. And this is what he says. He says, submitting yourselves to one another, maintaining due subordination in the various relations of life. The general principle of religion, the apostle proceeds now to illustrate in reference to wives, Ephesians 5, 22 through 24, to children, Ephesians 6, 1 through 3, and to servants, Ephesians 6, 5 through 8. Here he's saying this is the general principle of religion. Okay, He's saying that we would be what? Subject to one another. Okay? Or if you have an NIV there, it says to be submissive, right? To one another. And uh, here he says, at the same time, so at the same time he's telling us to be subject to one another, he says that he enforces this duty of submission. However, he enjoins on others to use their authority in proper manner and gives solemn injunctions that there should be no abuse of power. Particularly, he enjoins on husbands the duty of loving their wives with all tenderness. Ephesians 5, 25-33. On fathers, the duty of treating their children so that they might easily obey them. Ephesians 6, 4. And on masters, the duty of treating their servants with kindness, remembering that they have a master also in heaven. Ephesians 6, 9. The general meaning here is that Christianity does not break up the relations of life and produce disorder, lawlessness, and insubordination, but that it will confirm every proper authority and make every just yoke lighter. Infidelity is always disorganizing, but Christianity never is. And so, you know, he's saying that this is the whole general principle of Christian religion. That we would be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. No matter what role you may have in life. Whether you be a father who possesses authority in the home. Or you be a wife 
who is it to be in submission? Or you are a child who, who is to obey your parents and the Lord? Or a slave who is to obey your master without grumbling? Right? Whatever role you have in life, this is the, the overlying principle in that Christian life. And it is to be subject to one another. To be subject to one another. Submission is a primary characteristic of a Christian. We are to submit continually to God, and with reverence do we obey His will. We are to submit to those who are older than us, 1 Peter 5.5. 5. Submit to the governing authorities, 1 Peter 2.13 and Romans 13.1-5. Submit to the leaders of the church, Hebrews 13.17. To our parents and to masters, Ephesians 6, 1 through 6. And here, he says, to one another. And so, in the NAS, this is translated, and be subject to one another. Well, when we look at the Greek there, the the word to be subject carries the idea of to subordinate, to line up underneath, okay? To see authority with proper respect, the, the term be subject to. And the Greek word there is hupatasso. Hupatasso. And this word is used in this passage several times. But uh, it means to subordinate, to obey, to be under influence. I'm sorry, to be under obedience or to be obedient. To put under, to subdue under, to be, make, or subject to or unto. Or to be put in subjection under, to submit self unto. Okay, and so when it says be subject, the idea is to submit yourself or to subject yourself. Okay, and here in this verse, who is it that we're to subject ourselves to? To one another. Okay, and, and here's the thing. If you have two people who are making themselves subject or lining up underneath one another, how can you have conflict? Right? And it's not to say that we don't ever have conflict, even when we're, we're doing our best to submit to one another. Right? But it is to say that this is the underlying attitude that lives in our heart as a Christian and should dwell in our relationships as a Christian. You know, at, at some point, we're going to have to surrender. You know, especially when there's conflict. Somebody's got to lay down the sword. Because ultimately, you'll do what? You'll just destroy one another. Right? And so, here it's imperative to have this underlying attitude of submission. This is the primary characteristic of Christian life. It is to be subject to one another. To humble yourself to one another. Amen? To treat one another with humility. To be subject to one another. This is a fundamental element in all Christian relationships. And it is the basis for the whole passage from Ephesians 5.22 through Ephesians 6.9. Okay? And so when when he tells us to be subject to one another in the fear of Christ, look what he goes on to say after that. Right? Wives, he says, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. Right? Down in verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. Right? And then right on down through Ephesians 6, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Right? Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters. Masters, give up threatening. Right? And he's giving us this whole idea that this is how we subject ourselves to one another. If you look at your Bible there, if you have an NAS... Look at verse 22. It says, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. You notice the words, be subject there, are in italics. You see that? Of course, Pastor Tim pointed this out to us. I think it was last Sunday. But what what does that mean when those words are italicized? Anyone? Okay, yeah. They're not there in the original. Okay? So in the Greek, this would read... Wives to your own husbands, as to the Lord. Right? But what's he referring to? Right, he's referring to that verse 21 where it says, Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. 
You see, this verse is fundamental to understanding the rest of the passage. It's giving an underlying principle. And like Albert Barnes said, it was the general principle of religion. Okay? They use that that term religion to talk about Christianity back in those days. the, the idea is, this is the underlying principle of Christian life. That we would be subject to one another. That we would have this humility toward one another. And we do that out of reverence for Christ. Or in the fear of Christ. And so this attitude of submission to one another provides an atmosphere of peace every time. If we submit to one another, we allow for each other's shortcomings and do not demand our own rights granting honor to one another for Jesus' sake. You know, this is the beauty of Christian relationships. You know, there's a real grace that lives in us by the Spirit of God. And we ought to be, we ought to be zealous to let that grace live in our relationships with one another. Amen? And how difficult it is. How difficult it is with all of the stresses and the cares and the worries of life that we face on a daily basis in our workplaces, in our homes, in the different circumstances that we face. How many enemies we have to peace with one another. Amen. And how frequently there are conflicts and envyings and jealousies and quarreling and strife. Amen. And this is why Paul says we must be subject to one another. There has to be submission to one another. Somebody's got to give. Or should I say give in? Amen? Somebody's got to give in. Somebody's got to have that grace and grant that favor that's undeserved. Amen? In fact, this should be the underlying attitude of the Christian life. In all of our relationships. This is dying to self. This is dying to self. It is to be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. It is to be careful to overlook the shortcomings of others. Inasmuch as it is possible with you to be at peace with everyone. Amen? And I'm not suggesting we should shirk our responsibility to love one another and to care for one another and to hold one another accountable and to hold one another up and to strengthen one another. Okay? But at some point, we've got to be that gracious, loving, kind, accepting Christian person. Amen? How else can the church allow carnal sinners to come in and fellowship among her and be saved? If there is not some kind of attitude of grace and love. All these utterly carnal people come into the fellowship. Who've been living their whole life for themselves. And living their whole life for sin. How is a holy church going to bring them in? If she's not gracious and accepting. Amen? Amen. This is a major key to the marriage relationship. <laughs> Are y'all superstitious? <laughs> I got the switch wired back. I got it. Alright. So, this is a major key in the marriage relationship. Being subject to one another in the fear of Christ. This is a major key in the marriage relationship. Okay? Luke 9.23, this is what Jesus says to anyone who would come after him. He says, And he was saying to them all, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. And follow me. And so Jesus is calling us to a life of self-denial. He says, if you want to come after me, you have to take up the instrument of your own death and carry it. That's what he means when he says, take up a cross and follow me. He clarifies it with the next verse, right? 
And he says, whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. Amen? And so Christ is calling us to lose our life. Well, what does he mean by that? What do you mean you want me to lose my life, Jesus? Here's what he means. He means be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. He means be willing to lay down the sword. He means be willing to do the work of love. He means be willing to make a sacrifice to surrender your own rights for others. To surrender your own time for others. To surrender whatever it is that you need to surrender to afford benefit to the other. Amen? I mean, imagine what it must be like in heaven. Where there is no more conflict. No, no more mourning or dying or crying or pain. And in that place, everybody loves with a pure love. And it's almost as if people are tripping over themselves, trying to serve each other. Imagine what a world like that must be like. You see, that's what the kingdom of God is intended to be like. We're to be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. We're to be seeking to, to serve and love and care for one another with a very gracious humble attitude toward one another. Amen? And this is what we are pursuing, this very character of Christ. But here, Paul talks about our motivation for having this attitude of, of, of submission. Our motivation for hupatasso to line up under is here, in the fear of Christ. Okay? The motivation for our submission to one another is reverence or fear of Christ. When we submit for this purpose, we hit the mark every time. You see, the idea is, if you're going to be uh, subject to one another in the fear of Christ, and you do it because you love Christ, okay, every single time you're obedient to God. You hit the target every time. If you want to be subject to somebody just because you love Christ, then every single time, that is a pleasing sacrifice unto God. Amen? Amen? If we expect some human response, we are likely to be disappointed. But if we submit to reverence and obey Christ, we succeed every time. Now let me give you an example of what I'm talking about, and I wrote this there on the handout. Example. If a wife is submissive to her husband, so that he will be the loving leader, provider, and protector he should be, she will be sadly disappointed in his human failure. This is an improper motivation for submission. You see, it may go like this. You know, the, the, the wife comes in and sits down with the pastor and says, Pastor, I can't get along with my husband. Right? We always have these conflicts. This and that and the other is always going on. Right? And she says, I tried that submissive thing. It didn't work. <laughs> right? You see a problem there? And I'm, I don't mean to pick on you wives. I'm just making a very clear example of what the motivation for being subject to one another is. The motivation is not, I'm being submissive, so he will do his part. You see, that's selfish giving. That's giving, expecting a response. That is not the free giving of love that Christ demands. Right? But if instead that wife were to submit to that husband, because she loves and reverences Christ, then every single time she does that, she obeys Christ and she glorifies God, regardless of what the husband does. You see that? And there's something about having a pure and sincere motive in the heart that has a tremendous power in the relationship. Are you with me? There is something about sincere, submissive love on the part of a wife which has a tremendous power to temper a husband. You with me? And here's what we're talking about. 
We're talking about the motivation of that submission. Right? Should a husband love his wife so that she will be submissive to him? Again, selfish giving. Right? Again, he's, he's pursuing a response from her, and that's his motivation. Right? Instead of being subject to her by loving her, out of reverence for Christ, out of fear of Christ, out of doing it because He's my Lord and He commanded me and taught me the way I should walk in, that it may go well with me. Amen? The proper motivation for this hupatasso, for this lining up under, for being subject to one another, is reverence for Christ. And when we line up under one another, and we make ourselves willingly subject to one another in the fear of Christ, we glorify God every single time, regardless of the response of the other. Amen? (coughs) Think how beneficial this would be just in our daily relationships with difficult people. How about our daily relationships with difficult Christians? Have you ever had any of those? Right? If we could just employ this characteristic to be subject to that difficult person, to line up under them, to in humility before them, out of reverence for Christ, make myself willingly subject to them, I'll glorify Christ every time with that response. Amen? You with me? Okay, so here is the motivation for this submission. Okay? Now, as we go through these relationships, wives, husbands, children, slaves, masters, okay? As we go through these, every single one is going to be called to submit, to be subject to, in a specific way. Okay? And here is what he means when he says... Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Children, obey your parents. Slaves, obey your masters. Okay? He means to do it out of reverence for Christ and to willingly make yourself subject in that relationship. Okay? The motivation has to be the reverence of God. We do it because God has holy commandments which are to be fully obeyed. Amen? And if we do that, what will happen? The blessing of God will rest on our life. And we'll experience His blessing, His love, His joy, His peace will flow up from the inmost being like rivers of living water. Amen? When you're obedient to Christ, Christ is the one who blesses you. Amen? And you could be in the midst of a very difficult situation and still honor and glorify God. With your willing submission. Amen? And you entrust yourself to God. He judges justly. Right? You remember the discussion in 1 Peter 2 that Pastor Tim has been taking us through? Where Jesus went to the cross? Right? And he did not revile those who reviled him. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Right? And then Peter goes on and he says, Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands. Right? Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way. Right? In the same way that Christ went to the cross and willingly subjected himself to evil men and bore our sins in his body on the tree. In that same way, like a lamb to the slaughter, Peter says, that's how we ought to live our Christian life in relationship to one another. Okay? This is the underlying attitude. It is hupatasso. It is to willingly make oneself subject to, to line up under. Okay? So with that, we'll take off into verse 22 and following. There it says, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. This section of text is probably going to take me the rest of the morning. 
So I don't want you ladies to feel like I'm picking on you because the husbands are going to get their part over the next few weeks because they have a much greater part to play here, frankly, and a greater responsibility. But I'm not going to pull any punches on you as to what the Bible says you ought to do. And uh, so hopefully you're with me here and you see this very clearly in the Word of God. It says, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Here is the wife's role in mutual submission. Now remember that mutual submission is what is in verse 21. Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. We're all to mutually submit in the ways that God commands us to. The wife's role is to be subject to her own husband. The wife is to recognize and be subject to the God-given authority of the husband. For God has appointed him as head of the wife. These terms describe the role of the husband and wife, not some God-given right to lord over or rule over for the husband's own selfish benefit. But in the loving attitude of Christ, he fulfills his God-appointed role to protect and to guide, to provide and nurture his wife and family. And for this, the husband will give an account to God. So the idea is, the scripture says, that the wife is to be subject to the husband. Why? Because the husband is the head of the wife. And so here we have terms of authority and submission. And the Bible makes it very clear that the role of the husband is that of an authority in the home. He is the head of the wife. And that the wife is to be subject to her own husband. And uh, this isn't anything new to the scripture. Okay? This is throughout the scripture. And, I, you know, I made this handout here. Scripture memory for Christian wives. You know, if you're a married woman and you're a Christian, you ought to know what the Bible says about how a Christian woman ought to live and how she ought to act and how she ought to interact. And this is a very limited section of scriptures, but these were dealing particularly with the behavior of women's women in regard to marriage and in regard to their daily life. Okay? So I put these together for you so that you can look at them and see them. But I would hope that you would have read these many times. And not only read them, but committed them to memory. If not uh, word for word, at least in principle. If, If you as a Christian wife don't have these scriptural principles guiding your life on a daily basis, you're walking in the flesh. Because for a Christian wife to have the mind of the Spirit is to be thinking with these terms in her mind. For a Christian wife to walk around and think about what Christ thinks about. And to live and respond in her life like Christ would expect her to live and respond. This has to be what's going through her mind. She has to be thinking with the mind of the Spirit. Where is that defined? It's defined here in the Holy Word of God. Amen? And, and so, what I'm saying is, if this is not the principles that run through your mind on a daily basis as a Christian wife, or if you're thinking of some other type of principles that you ought to be living your life by, you're living in the flesh. You're not living in the Spirit. Because this is the mind of God concerning the way a Christian woman ought to live her life. Okay? So, I wanted to make that clear. Nicole? question because I did a little study and I kind of got a little bit confused with the first Corinthians, this last one, where a woman who keeps silent in the church. Mm-hmm. What if a husband isn't going into the church and doesn't you know how do you learn then? I understand these types of classes, but mm-hmm. you can is that how you learn? Is these types of classes? Well it's not saying that a woman can't learn in the church, yeah. right? It's saying um, first the verse she's referring to is first Corinthians fourteen, thirty four and thirty five. Let the woman keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but let them but let them subject themselves, just as the law also says, and if they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is improper for a woman to speak in the church. I'm going to comment on that scripture briefly, and then I'm going to move on. Okay? Here's the deal. Here's the deal. If you look at this scripture in its context... Paul is reproving the Corinthian church for its disorder. You with me? 1 Corinthians 14. 
and, and specifically in its context, what this verse is referring to is contentions that arise in the church. And what he is saying is, a woman is not to speak up in the church publicly with contentions against the teaching which is coming forth from the prophet or the teacher who is there speaking. When you look at this in context, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. Okay, so uh, the, the other thing is there's an underlying principle in the Christian faith, which is really a Jewish tradition, which is that in the synagogue, the women, the women do not speak. Okay, there is a, there is a very uh, well-ordered way that they worship. And when the word of God is spoke, there's a rabbi, and if you might be familiar, the rabbi sits down and everybody else does what? Stands up. Right? Because they're showing honor and reverence for the word of God. And, and if you will, it was a Jewish tradition that the woman wouldn't even speak. But here what Paul is saying is not that it's not proper for a woman to speak in the church. That is not what he is saying. What he is saying is he's correcting a disorderly practice in the Corinthian church whereby the women are speaking up and being very contentious. Causing trouble. You okay. <laughs> so if you don't so, have to be here and he knows the words, so you just go to these classes to get an understanding. Just don't well, well, here's the deal. I mean, maybe you're a maybe you're a Christian uh, woman, and your husband's a non-believer, right? And so you have questions, right? So who do you subject yourself to for that learning? Well, it, it would be either a older Christian woman. Or your pastor, right? And if you have questions, what you would do, or contentions, if you will, which is what this is really addressing, you you would address those privately outside of the corporate fellowship of the church. That's what this is addressing. Okay. So, uh, and you might ask, why is that on here? Okay. I, I put that on there so that you would clearly see the attitude, which is that that a Christian woman is to bear in the corporate fellowship of the church. Okay, it's the word of God. It's not my words. Moving right along. <laughs> Moving right along. Thank you, brother. <laughs> I was saying this commandment in Ephesians five twenty two for the wife to be subject to her own husband is not new to the Scripture. In fact, it is throughout the New Testament. First Peter three one through three puts it this way. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Okay? And there the scripture very clearly says that a wife is to be submissive to her husband, even if he is disobedient to the word. Even if he's not loving and kind and gentle and gracious and protecting and loving you like Christ ought to love the church, a, a woman is still expected to be submissive to her husband. And not only just submissive, but here it says chaste and respectful. Right? In another translation it says with a gentle and a quiet spirit. Amen? Uh, Titus 2, 4, and 5. Um. It's talking about the older women teaching the younger women. And here he says that, that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be dishonored. And again, uh, a writing here to, uh, to Titus, the young pastor. And uh, Paul says to him that, the older women are to teach the younger women to what? To be subject to their own husbands. That the word of God may not be dishonored. Right? How about Colossians 3.18? There it, it says very plainly, Wives, be subject to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. You see, it's fitting for a wife to be submissive to her husband. It's proper among saints for a wife to be submissive to her husband. Okay? There is no other practice in the church of God. That is it. If you are a Christian wife, you are to be subject to your own husband. You are to line up underneath his authority because he is the head of the wife. That's what the Bible says. Amen? Boy, that was awful quiet. <laughs> Amen. Amen. 
Terry? Also, I think that the fitting there would, would allow for, uh, if he requests or requires uh, you to do something that's contrary to the, to, to the word, that you would not have to obey in that situation. Mm -hmm. you know, and say that this is contrary to God's word, and I can't do that. Amen. We're going to get there here just rather shortly here. So we're going to talk about the scope and the degree of the submission of the wife. Okay? But here he says, Wives should be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. Okay? So now he talks about how it is a wife is to submit to her husband. The wife is to submit to the husband as she would to God himself. That's what he means when he says, as to the Lord. Anytime we subject ourselves to authority, it is for the sake of obedience to God. Okay, understand this. God is the one that establishes all authority. Right? And then, he tells Christians in several places in the Bible, Romans 13, 1 Peter 2, right? He tells us that we are to willingly subject ourselves to the authorities, whatever they be, whether they be governing authorities, whether they be uh, high up authorities, whether they just be our, our employer, whoever might uh, have authority over us, God says that we should subject ourselves to them. And when we do that, we do what? We obey God. Why? Because God is the one that established that authority. And therefore, for us to rebel against the authority, it says in Romans 13, is to rebel against God. Okay? Because God is the one that establishes authority. And so, whenever we subject ourselves to authority, we do it for the sake of obedience to God. So, this submission is to take place regardless of the husband's personal worthiness or spiritual condition. Alright? The scripture is saying that a wife is to willingly make herself subject to her husband regardless of the husband's personal worthiness or spiritual condition. How do we know that? Because he says right here in these words, Wives, be subject to your husbands. How? As to the Lord. And he doesn't qualify it by saying, If your husband is just like Jesus. <laughs> right? I understand. It's, I understand. That's a little comical. But I, I know where you live in daily life. And I know the kind of struggles you face. And there are many times when this is not funny, one iota. You with me? And it's very difficult at times for a wife to submit to a husband. Especially if he's being a hardhead. Right? Or especially if he's not being kind. Or if he's not being loving. Or if he's not being gracious. Or if he's not uh, uh, exuding those qualities that the Lord Jesus has. It's very difficult for a wife to subject herself. She cannot do this in the power of the flesh. This can only be accomplished being filled with the Spirit. You see? This is something that is beyond the human ability to do. It is not in the woman's natural uh, nature. I'm sorry. It is not in the woman's nature to subject herself to the husband, is it? No, it's not. What happened, with, what happened at the curse? Anybody remember that? Right? God, God's, God comes through and Adam, where are you? He's hiding in the bushes, right? And he, he, he finds Adam and Eve and he comes and he says, what have you done? Have you eaten from the tree? Who told you you were naked? Right? And God begins to speak. You know what he says to the woman? Anybody remember what God says to the woman? Uh-huh. He says, you're going to desire your husband, but he will rule over you. You see, God established the authority of the husband right there in the garden, right after the fall. Okay? And it was in the woman's nature to do what? To desire that ruling over her husband. Right? Have you ever seen the controlling nature of a woman? <laughs> Where do you suppose that comes from? No, really. I mean, let's think very logically about what what we're saying. This is uh, everybody obviously sees that, right? That was a big hit with everyone. <laughs> right? 
What do you suppose that is? Well, that's what God, that's what God was talking about there in Genesis chapter 3. You will desire to rule over your husband, but he will rule over you. I have made him the head of the wife. This is going to be a great struggle for you. You see? And this is what I'm saying. It is not within the nature of a woman to willingly subject herself to authority. Nor is it a man. Right? The sinful nature that is in us, by nature, is rebellious. Amen? Rebellious against God and every authority he has established. Therefore, if a Christian woman is to live out this command, the only way she can do it is by faith in God. The only way she can do it is by the power that the Spirit gives. And you see, when God empowers that submission, it's a gentle, sweet, quiet, reverent lining up under her husband. And you can't do it in the flesh. You cannot do it in the flesh. Consider what's being said here. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. In other words, you be submissive to that husband just like you are to God. Amen? That's a high calling. Would you agree? That's a very difficult thing to accomplish at times. Would you agree? Even more when you have a husband who's not obedient to the word. Amen? It's even more difficult. And many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. But it, this is paramount in the life of a Christian wife. Okay? She must subject herself to her husband. And again, this is throughout the scripture. A wife who doesn't respond properly to her husband's direction manifests a serious spiritual dysfunction. It is surely sin against the Lord. Okay? Understand what we're saying. When you are unsubmissive to your husband, you are sinning against God. Okay? I wanted to make sure that was clear. I, I had in my old notes, I noticed, I said, a wife who doesn't respond properly to her husband manifests a serious spiritual dysfunction, period. spiritual dysfunction but in in the bible's plain words it's sin it is a sin against god okay and uh, god has established that authority we are to recognize it wherever it lies okay and i ask this question then would the church treat christ with contempt so the next time you as a wife find yourself Talking back to your husband very disrespectfully with intense um, power in your words. Maybe you should consider if you would speak to Christ like that. Are you with me? Or however it is that you seem to manifest that rebellion that is in your heart. Maybe it is not in that way. Maybe it is in another way. Maybe it is an outright disobedience to something your husband has asked or something like that. I would ask you this question, would the church treat Christ like that? And here Paul makes that the measure of how a woman ought to submit to her husband. It is as to the Lord. She ought to do what her husband desires as she would what Christ desires. Amen? That's very clear here. And of course, the church would not treat Christ with contempt. Amen? Although she does. And for that reason, he had to die. Amen? She is still commanded to treat Christ with reverence, with respect, and to willingly make herself subject to Christ. Amen? And so in the same way... That the church subjects herself to Christ, a wife should subject herself to her husband. Amen? And how much more if you have a godly husband? You hear me, Christian wife? You hear what I'm saying here? How much more 
Should you be subject to your own husband if you have a godly, loving, Christian husband? We have no other practice in the church of God. You with me? So whatever it is, that great struggle that's in your heart with that sinful nature, sooner or later, you've got to find the power of the Spirit to overcome that struggle and to make yourself willingly subject to your husband. And to stop controlling and manipulating him to to do and live the way you want to do and live. You let him take his God-given authority. And you let him be the head in that home and in that marriage. And that is your proper place. And listen, Christ is going to bless that. He is going to bless that. And his love and his peace and his joy and his patience and his kindness and his gentleness is going to come to live and manifest itself in your marriage. God will not be mocked. You with me? You obey him and you'll be blessed. You disobey him and you'll be cursed. You'll eat the fruit of your actions and your words. You with me? Carlos. It's possible to that in this world it will not come about. What's that? Uh, a peace oh. or a satisfaction with your mate. If the person uh, is so honorary, so mean, but just for the fear of the Lord, knowing that in eternity <coughs> that you will get your reward. You might not get it. Mm-hmm. This person is, I guess, not going to change something. Mm-hmm. They will not change. Right. So your, your counsel is that regardless of the response of the husband, it is still the wife's responsibility to, to surrender, to submit, right? And the husband. And the husband. Submit to the wife. Yeah, right. And we're going to talk about that. But what you're saying is is that um, the human response may never come about. Right, never. Might mm-hmm. never come about. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't change the responsibility of us to be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. That shouldn't be your motivation anyway. Amen. 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 And if it is, it's an insincere motivation. We already pointed that out, right? That that would be selfish giving. You with me? Right? So, look look what uh, Peter says here. I was asking the question, would the church treat Christ with contempt? Right? Of course she wouldn't. But, but when a wife responds willingly and lovingly and honors God and her husband, she, she honors God and her husband, her family, her church, and herself. And you know what the scripture says? That the submission is the beauty of a godly woman. That's what the scripture says. Look at 1 Peter 3, 4 through 6. There it says, But let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves. This is how they made themselves beautiful. How? Being submissive to their own husbands. Thus Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children, if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. You see, the Bible says... That that is how the holy women of old used to make themselves beautiful. How? By being submissive to their own husbands. That's how. By recognizing that God-given authority. And that, uh, Peter says, is a beautiful thing. It is a gentle and a quiet spirit. And so then, you know, Paul gives this uh, reason why. He says that a wife ought to be subject to her husband. And then he says, how? How should she be subject? As to the Lord. But then he says, why? Why should she? For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. He himself being the Savior of the body. The husband is the head of the wife in the same manner as Christ is the head of the church. The sense is, she is subordinate to him. And in all circumstances, in her attitude, her dress, her conversation, in public and in the family circle, she should recognize her subordination to her husband. Okay? Why? 
Because the husband is the head of the wife. He is the God-given established authority in that relationship. And that is the reason why. That's what, it's, that's what the word for means. Right? It says, Wives be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord for. Right? Or you could use the word there because. Because the husband is the head of the wife. And of course in 1 Corinthians 11... You might be familiar with that passage of Scripture. If you're not, and you're a Christian woman, or even a Christian man, you ought to know what the Bible says there in 1 Corinthians 11. I think it's verses 1 through 10. Uh, is a whole discussion about man and woman and uh, their role in the church. But there it says in 1 Corinthians 11:3, I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and that man is the head of a woman, and that God is the head of Christ. And, and there again, the idea that man is the head of the wife. I wish I had some more time. I was going to read you quite a lengthy discussion from Albert Barnes about the husband being the head of the wife. I think I'll read this first piece. It says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. Now he's commenting on verse 22. He says, uh, the duty of the submission of the wife to her husband is everywhere enjoined in the scriptures. See 1 Peter 3.1, Colossians 3.18, Titus 2.5. While Christianity designed to elevate the character of the wife and to make her a fit companion of an intelligent and pious husband, it did not intend to destroy all subordination and authority. Man, by the fact that he was first created that the woman was taken from him, that he is better qualified for ruling than she is, is evidently designed to be at equal, I'm sorry, to be at the head of the little community that constitutes a family. So he's saying that, that God had designed the man to have this role, being the head, and that he was the head, if you will, of this little community that constitutes a family. In many other things, woman may be his equal. In loveliness, in grace and beauty, and tenderness and gentleness, she is far his superior. But these are not the qualities adapted for government. Okay, He's saying, look, women have very many other qualities that God has given her. But those qualities do not endue her with that God-given authority as the head. Okay, That's what he's saying. Their place is in another sphere. And the man should be as cautious about invading her prerogative or abridging her liberty as she should be about invading the prerogative that belongs to him. You see what he's saying? He's saying it would, it would, it would be ungodly for a man to try and, and uh, take the woman's place, right? And abridge her liberty to express her kindness and her lovingness and her tenderness. In other words, he's not to be effeminate, Right? Right? But, and he says, it would be just as much out of place for a man to do that as it would for a woman to take the place of a man. Or to put it in the common vernacular, for a woman to wear the pants in the home. You familiar with that term? You know what it means when a woman's wearing the pants in the home? How many of you know what I mean by that? Okay, we don't need to explain that one. <laughs> so... He says it would be improper for that to happen. It would be improper. She, she would be usurping the God-given authority of the husband. And it's improper. It's not fitting. It's out of place. Okay? He goes on. In every family there should be a head. Someone who is to be looked up to as the counselor and the ruler. Someone to whom all should be subordinate. God has given that prerogative to man... And no family prospers where that arrangement is violated. Within proper meets and limits, therefore, it is the duty of the wife to obey or to submit herself to her husband. Okay? And, of course, he goes on. He has this tremendous discussion about little daily activities in the home and the way you live your life and how a woman ought to subordinate herself. I think it would be very advantageous for you to read that. That's the commentary from Albert Barnes. You can get it on that little uh, Power Bible CD. Or if you just go on the Google, type in Albert Barnes Commentary, you'll find it online. Go to Ephesians 5.22 and there will be all the comments. 
I thought that might be helpful. And then we'll end with this. He says, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. (coughs) But that wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Okay? Now he's talking about the scope. The scope of the wife's submission. What should she be submissive in? And here he says, in everything. This statement makes it very clear the extent to which the wife's submission should be. However, the wife should not submit in the case of a husband who would lead his wife into sin. Neither should she submit to a physically abusive husband. Okay? And and I'm just kind of cutting right to the chase there. But the idea is, is that if a husband is demanding of a wife something which would cause her to violate God's law, okay, then she at that point is no longer uh, under his authority to do such because God is a higher authority than man, okay? Now, many of you may be blessed to the point that you've never even had to experience anything like that, okay? But in the case that you, that you would, a woman is not to subject herself to the man if the man is demanding that she violate the law of God. God is a higher authority, and you ought to obey God rather than men. Okay? Which is what Terry was referring to. The goal of submission is to please and obey Christ. Wives who are unwilling to lovingly submit to their husbands are robbing themselves of fulfillment in marriage. Did you hear that? I want to repeat that for you. Wives who are unwilling to lovingly submit to their husbands are robbing themselves of fulfillment in marriage. The very thing that they desire to have, they are in reality rejecting. Not only this, but more importantly, a non-submissive wife is disobedient and rebellious to God who commands the wife to respect her husband and to submit to him in everything and as to the Lord. Okay? This rebel behavior is a, truly a blight to femininity, and it dishonors God's word. You remember what uh, Paul said to Titus there? He said that they might encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands. Why, Paul? That the word of God may not be dishonored. Because you see... When a Christian wife does not willingly subject herself to her husband, she dishonors God. And the world is watching. The world is watching as the rebel wife dishonors God. As she defames the glory of God. You with me? And so it's imperative. It is imperative for a Christian wife to make herself willingly subject to her husband. Why? So that God will be honored. That the word of God will be glorified. And that that gentle and sweet disposition of Christ might be manifested. How much more even in a difficult situation would that glorify God? Amen? Well, again, I want to encourage you that the Holy Spirit lives in you. That you have the power to accomplish this by your willing surrender to Him. And that if in faith and dependence you'll look to God, you'll find the strength that you need to be submissive to your husband. You with me? And so when we get together next time, we're going to be talking about the husband's role in mutual submission, which is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. And we're going to go into a lengthy discussion about what that should look like in the Christian marriage and in the, in the Christian home. Okay? Shall we pray? God, our Father, we thank you, Lord, for the privilege of having these words in our hands, in our hearts, and in our minds. I pray, Father, that you would help us to view these things rightly. Lord, every struggle that's in our heart with your truth, I pray that you would resolve it, that you would bring light to our eyes and help us to see and understand 
the design that you have given for our Christian families. I pray, Lord, that as we are obedient to these, that you would increase our peace. God, that you would cause your joy to live in our lives, your love to dwell in our marriages. Father, we look to you for your help. Help us, God. Help us, especially in the difficult times, God. Help us. We thank you so much for your holy word. We thank you for your love to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.